So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1 and go into chapter 2. We're going to start in verse, verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22 of 1 Peter. If you're new with us, we've been going through 1 Peter together for a while now, and we're taking our time, and I, it's been enjoyable for me as I'm getting to just sink in it and learn a lot. I hope it's been a good series so far for you. It's, it's just a great text to look at as we consider Peter's words to the scattered church in Asia Minor, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, he was speaking to a group of people who were facing some rejection and some, uh, some kind of being pushed out to the margin, as it were, in society because of their faith in Jesus. And there was going to come, at a time, some suffering as well. And so Peter's preparing them for that and teaching them how to live in a world that doesn't believe what they believe, but yet not get out of the world, not try to run from the world, but rather be the people of God in the world, the holy people he meant them to be that live in the world and love Jesus in the midst of it and therefore love and serve people that Jesus wants to reach and love through his people, the church. And so we're at that place now where we're starting to turn a lot more towards now how do we do this? What does this look like? What kinds of people should we be and how ought we to live? So verse 22 is where we're at today. Let's begin. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this, is, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. <clears throat> Peter starts with this phrase, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. In verse, end of verse 25, he tells us that, that that truth is the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ that was preached to you. And what he's saying is that the truth is the gospel and obedience to it equals believing the gospel. What you need to understand when he says, oh, you're, through your obedience you've been purified, obedience means submission to or uh, to take your life under, as it were. Like parents, you know what I'm talking about when you're like, okay, son, would you obey me? And you're not primarily just saying, will you do what I say? You're actually saying, will you actually submit yourself to my leadership and then do what I say? And what what Peter is saying here is our submission to the truths of the gospel are putting our lives under it, as it were, to, to redefine us, to say, Jesus is now in charge of my life because Jesus rescued me from slavery to sin. Jesus brought me out to live a new life. Jesus suffered and died on the cross for my sins to pay for the ways I've disobeyed and rebelled against God. There is no condemnation against me because I'm a child of God, loved by God, forgiven by God, set free by God, and therefore my life is new in God. I'm a born-again child of God. I have His real life in me by His Spirit. That's who I am, and my life comes under that. Everything that I'm about is under that reality. I submit to that. It's a controlling power, a controlling truth, a controlling reality in my life. 
In other words, what Peter wants them to understand is that there should be no other controlling source of their lives other than the truths of Jesus Christ, that the culture shouldn't control them, that the fear of man shouldn't control them, that their anticipation of what might happen to them shouldn't control them, but rather Jesus should control them. He's the Lord, and we submit to him. And he controls us. And that's good because he isn't to control us in a domineering way that's going to hurt you, but rather he's the only one who sets you free and gives you life to the abundant. So he's the one you want to be your master. He's the one you want to be your Lord. He's the one you want to submit to because he's the only one who will give you everything you've always longed for in the deepest longings of your soul. It's good news. That's where Peter starts. But what he also wants us to understand is by submitting to those truths, not only is that true of us, but you actually get to be changed by Jesus. It's not that he's just your ruler and master. It's that he is the one who brings about your transformation. That the good news of the gospel is not that you've just been saved, but that you're being saved. That he's doing something in your life today. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Hear what he's saying. He's saying, you've come to faith. You've been changed by Jesus for something. He didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. I love that. He's not just going like, hey, be holy. Let's get out of here. The world's a messed up place. We got to run. Let's get our combines and hide out. No, he's going, no, 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 no. I got all authority in heaven and on earth. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to hide out. I'm your master. I've changed your life And now I want to work through your life to live a new life so people can see what I do when I change a life. I've not just purified your heart. I want to purify your love. I want to purify your souls, purify your heart, and I want to put pure love in you so people get to see love of another kind. And that's what we're going to talk about today. See, here's the thing I want to make sure we really understand. It's not sufficient just to talk about the love of God and then to live a life with no love. In fact, that's very confusing and misleading to the world. When we preach a gospel of the love of God, but we live without the love of God, they wonder if there's any good news in that gospel. In fact, I would say if you preach the the love of God through Jesus Christ, but never ever experience the love of God because of Jesus Christ, we should question whether we believe the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't just save you, it's saving you, it's changing you, it's making you into a different person. It's purified you so that you might love in an entirely different way. It's interesting because uh, one of the things I think Peter wants to do here is he wants to make sure that these people understand that they're to be a holy people set apart for God in the world, not from the world, but in the world for the purpose of God, for the sake of the world, that they might see the love of God in God's people in their midst. And what he doesn't want them to do is to, to see persecution or potential suffering or rejection and then just walk away and run in fear and go, we're not going to love people anymore because it's too risky, it's too costly, but it, it's not worth it. And he's going, no, 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 you've been saved for a brotherly love. You've been saved for a sincere love. You've been saved for an earnest love. There's a reason God has rescued you. It's so that you might be a display of his love to the world. That's what he wants. And so even first. Timothy, when Paul speaks to Timothy, he, he gives him a, a charge and then a warning. He says, this is First Timothy 1, 5 through 6, the aim of our charge, the aim of our instruction is what he's saying. The reason why I'm teaching you, the reason why I'm preaching to you, that's mine too, by the way, is love. Love that issues from a pure heart. Don't miss that. In order for you to get the love of God poured into your heart, 
you had to have a pure heart for it to be poured into. The only way you get a pure heart is by God purifying you by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for your sin so you get the very heart of God. Get the very love of God poured into you. So you have a pure heart. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. You know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not against you. He is for you. He is not standing in judgment over you. He set you free from condemnation. We, we are now free from the, the, the sense of that we, we're, we're full of guilt and shame. It's been removed in Jesus Christ. And then a sincere faith. It's a faith without cracks. Solid. Sincere means without cracks. It's, it's formidable, strong. Verse 6, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. What Paul is saying is when you lose sight of love, then you start talking to prove people wrong. You debate to be right. You make your goal to put people down, to put people out. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he describes love, he says, you know what? I could have the tongues of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You will not hear what I'm saying. You will miss the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because all you hear is noise. See, Jesus didn't just come as a message. He came as the messenger who embodied the message. He came as one who preached good news and lived good news. He's one who told us about the love of God and loved us to the point of laying down his life. So the, the gospel's an embodied message. It's not a disembodied one. We are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. We're meant to be the, not only the, the people who have the message of reconciliation, but the ministry of reconciliation, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. We're, we're meant to be a people who not only know it and believe it, but are being changed by it, so the way we live shows that it has power to change your life. It's confusing to tell a world of the love of God but not love them. If we're going to see the, the city that's around us changed by the love of God, not only do they need to hear about it, they need to experience it from us. That's how God built the entire thing, is that he would love the world through a body. Jesus is first, and now the church, which is his body. So how are we going to do this? Well, how are we going to be a holy people who show the world what God is like, show our dad off and his love for his kids and the way we live? Well, first of all, we're going to have to love like a forever family. We're going to have to get rid of all that's not loving, and we're going to have to feed on the love of Christ. Let's first of all start with love like a forever family. Uh, let's keep reading. We've been saved for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I want to talk about what this love is like first of all. First of all, this love is sincere. It's sincere. It's not, it's not double-faced. It's not hip- hypocritical. It doesn't pretend to love in front of you and then not love behind you. It's the kind of love that's deep. It's not surfacy. It's got a depth of soul to it. And it's brotherly, meaning it's familial. It's devoted to one another. I don't know how you were growing up. I grew up in a family of four boys. I was number two. And... Um, I was, a, I was a bit of a, like, um, a loose cannon sometimes. I was, we really, you know, we played sports together, and if I got beat, I'd usually come up with fist, you know. I remember one time my, my older brother and his buddies set up the team so they could clearly beat us, and after we got, we got completely squashed, 
I ran in the house and grabbed a knife and came out after him. This is the pre-regenerate G- Jeff, just so you know. Like, this is before Jesus changed him. Don't worry, I'm not like that anymore. But. And I, I remember one time, my, my brother, who he was 15 months younger than me, I would like pick on him, you know, and I remember when he got older and, big, and he got big enough to actually, he, I remember when it went from like, I was looking at, down like this to looking like this, because he actually got taller than me. <laughs> one day he got so tired of me, he just like threw me against a wall and started beating the living daylights out of me. Like just pummeled me. I'm like, top, caught me off guard because I'm like, you aren't supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do this. Uh, but here's the weird thing. He's the same brother that when the bu- bullies in the neighborhood picked on him, I went after them. I protected him. He's my brother. Yeah, I've seen Mama Bear come out of Janie a few times. You mess with our kids, Mama Bear shows up. You're right. Why? Because family protects. Family looks out. I mean, yeah, I shouldn't have picked on my brother and kids. You shouldn't beat up people. Just so it's clear, okay? Like, but, but we're advocates of one another. We want what's best for one another. We're family. Church, we're family. Let's not just say that. Do you know that we are more family than your own flesh and blood? More family than your own flesh and blood. Because we are a forever family. Part of what's going on here is uh, Peter wants us to understand that you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That's both the written word of God that it contains the truth about the living word of God, Jesus Christ. And it's an abiding and living word. It, it's a lasting word. It's, it actually, it's living because like when we talk about Jesus, he's alive. He rose again on the third day. When we speak of him, he's at work in this room right now by his spirit. He is living here at work in you. Amazing. And he's not going to die again. He already overcame death. So he's eternal And you've been born again, if you have, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've been born again by the living and abiding word, the one that is present here and living forever and abiding, eternal, never going to die. If you've been born again by that, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you now have been given eternal life, new life. Don't think of eternal life as like I'm going to live after I die. Eternal life began the moment when Jesus came into your life through his spirit and gave you a new heart and a new life and you became a new child of God and that, that child of God will live forever in this family. That's, what, that's the truth. That's more real than flesh and blood because it will never die. It will last forever. We will be brothers and sisters forever. Some of you are going, that's the part I'm scared about. <laughs> yeah. That's why we've got to have a pure love, right? Because you're not getting away from me. I'm not getting away from you. We'll be together forever. You know, some of you go, man, there's people in my life I kind of wish they weren't there. God thinks they need to be there so that you'll learn how to love with a pure love. God knows what you need. You don't get to choose your brothers and sisters. He does. And he knows what he's doing. And we need to understand that not only are we a forever family born of an imperishable seed, but the reality of this imperishable seed is that most of us still live like we're born of a perishable seed, meaning we are born in the family of Adam and Eve. We've forgotten that we have 
eternal life. And so what we often do is we live like this world is it, right? We live like we got nothing left other than this. So we give all of our life to the temporary things of life that are going to fade away. They're going to they're wilt like, like grass. They're going to fall like the flower does when it dies. And that, that's the stuff of this world. It's not going to last. But we, we devote so much time and so much energy into the things that we should not. And we, di- we discard or forget or neglect the things that are. The brothers and sisters God has brought into your family are going to be with you forever. But the stuff you invest your life in that's just going to go away will not. Think about how much affection you put into stuff. I, 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 I hate, on one hand, I like getting a new car. On the other hand, I hate it because as soon as I let someone use it, I'm so clearly aware of how much I love stuff more than people. Right? And the kids, you know, I'm like, guys, quit putting your crappy stuff in the back of the car, you know? And the Lord reminds me, like my friend Bill Clem told me, I remember him telling me the story of his son, little Billy, who's really actually quite tall now, but Bill, Bill took him in the Sportster Porsche when they first got this nice sports car, and it was used, so don't freak out. He wasn't spending too much money, as you know, Bill. Um, and and he, his, you know, he's going fast, and his son goes, Dad, I love this car! And Bill pulls over the side of the road, and he goes, No, 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 son. We love people, and we use things. But when we start loving things, then we use people to get more things. You've got to keep the order right, son. This is just temporary stuff. We can enjoy it. We can bless people with it. We can use it to love people. But we love people and use things. I'll tell you, like, even early on, I think I didn't ask my wife for permission to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, she can yell at me later, I guess. Um, early on in our marriage, we had, like, impeccable house. I mean, like, white carpet, gorgeous decorations. Everything was in perfect place. In fact, the kids in our youth ministry used to come in and like, like tilt pictures every once in a while, just like so everything would just be off a little bit, and she'd just be like, ah, you know, like. <laughs> and I, we used to go out on dates, and like when we would go out on a date, like she would make me leave the house first, and I don't know how she did it, but I'd come back to the house, and there's like perfect vacuum lines on this white carpet, and no footprints, and the vacuum got miraculously put away. I don't know if she levitated or what. But that was an immaculate house. And I'm telling you, having no kids made that really easy. And then you have kids. And then you can choose to, like, get angry at your kids because they don't keep the house perfect, or you can love your kids more than your house. Right? And we've grown to learn how to see a house as a great place to serve people. See, like, if we love our house too much, we're going to go, I don't want to open up my house for people in my neighborhood or my community because they're going to ruin it. They're going to dirty the carpets. You know, like where we were at, it's like they might steal something. I don't know. Maybe they'll do that here too, you know? And what, and what if, like, what happened to my, one of my wife's beautiful painting things that she did on glass for her jewelry, one of the kids were playing football in our upstairs bedroom, and it went right into the glass and smashed it, and there goes her artwork. Do you go, that's it, no kids over anymore? Or do you go, you know what, I'm not going to love stuff more than kids. I'm going to love kids more than stuff. Yeah, we'll teach them no more throwing the ball in the bedroom with glass around. But I'm going to love you and I'm going to keep opening my life to you because that's perishable stuff. That's not going to last. We've been born again of imperishable seed to be imperishable children of God who invest in what is imperishable, which is people. 
And you know what? My concern is there are people in our city, maybe some in this room, you don't know what it's like to be an imperishable child of God, to be born again to a living hope, to have a confident hope that you will live forever with God in a, in a new earth, and a new heaven. And, and, and I'm, I just want to say, Doxa Church, can we care more about people than stuff? Can we like care enough to tell them that God loves them, not just with our words, but with our lives, with our homes, with our cars, with our stuff? It's the only way they're going to see it. Because in a culture that loves stuff more than people, the way that we show them the love of God is we love people more than stuff. What does that love look like? Peter goes on. It's familial, but it's also earnest. Love that word. Earnest. It means exhaustive, intense, painstaking. I met Janie in 1991, August 1991. First moment that I met her, I was like, that's it. In fact, I, I, it's one of those moments, there's a few moments in my life where I can go, God made it so stinking clear I couldn't ignore it. And he said, that's your wife. He knew I was kind of an idiot. I probably would have missed her. You know, like, I mean, she is beautiful, but, but like, I was like, I'll keep my options open, you know, like Mr. Arrogant. <laughs> like, he's probably going like, you don't have a lot of options, just so you know. Like, you don't think, you think highly of yourself. I don't think people think of you like you think of yourself. <laughs> You're going to need some help, kid. And so, so like, that's her. And I saw her the first moment. I was like, that's my wife. I pursued her. Her dad made me meet with him and have a Bible study, like, couple times a week sometimes he's like you're getting you got to go through me son i'm like okay he taught me amazing oh i love i love bob he's since passed away and he's with jesus but he walked through the scriptures with me about what it meant to be a man and a husband and a, a pursuer of his wife and you know what a gift and uh i started meeting hanging with her family and pursuing janie and nine months later she had a ring on her finger and um, nine months later we got married you know how I got that ring on her finger? I was earnest. I got all my youth group kids to set up at Green Lake. We had a string quartet out on the dock there. Candlelight dinner. Everyone's dressed up in their suit and, you know, with a towel over their arm and serving us. What can I get you to eat? There's a boat waiting for us. We got in the boat and I'm, I'm like rowing out to out Green Lake and my beautiful, hopefully, bride-to-be is sitting there. We go down the water, and she sees these candles that, huh, I wonder why they're all along the beach there. Interesting. We had all that set up, and there's some music playing in the background. La, 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 la. That's what it was. It was Little Mermaid kissed the girl. I know, it's cheesy. I know, I know, I know. We were, we were just in Disneyland, and we went to the little, little, little Mermaid ride, and listen, I'm like, do you remember, sweetheart? She's like, that was really cheesy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and her, her, friend, her friend Loretta's in the bushes, you know, videotaping, and Janie knows. She's like, Loretta, Loretta, what are you doing over there? I'm like, oh, God, they're ruining this. And so I'm like, I got to do this now. I'm like, pull out the blanket. The balloons go up. Roses go out. Ring's there. Will you marry me? Yes. And she said yes, but that's because everybody was watching. She was afraid to say no. <laughs> In fact, she told me later, she goes, you deceived me. Like, I had no way out of this one. And then, like, later on, I'm like, what? did I really say yes to this? Like, I can't believe that you won my heart. 
And uh, I was earnest, right? Guys, who, those of you who have done that, who pursued your bride, and you, you now have a, a wonderful wife and a, a mother of your children if God has blessed you with kids. That's earnest. That's what he's talking about. Be that earnest in our love for one another. Right, let me just a little aside here. Husbands, some of you stopped being earnest after the wedding day towards your wife. Pursue her like you did when you were trying to convince her to foolishly give her life to you. <laughs> right? I mean, now it's like you're going, how did I ever convince her now that she knows what I'm like? And she's going, how did you ever convince me? Like, this is the grace of God. <laughs> but don't stop pursuing her. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, which means you keep remembering what it was like to pursue the love of your life. And you know what I've learned? The more that I pursue my wife, the more lovely she becomes, the more I love her. Okay, now let me just take that into the family. The same is true for us. Brothers and sisters, the more we earnestly love one another, pursue each other, seek to outdo one another in love, the more you'll love one another. That's what happens. You might go, I don't know, love anybody here. No one loves me. I remember early years of when we planted the church in, in Tacoma, Soma. People come to me and go, like, this church isn't very loving. I'm like, well, you're the church. What are you going to do about that? Love. You're the one who makes it loving. Let's outdo one another in the earnestness of our love for one another. Peter knows that if that happens, there'll be a testimony to the world, and the world will want to find a refuge in the love of the church. They'll want to find the love that can't be found anywhere else, and it's found in the people of God. It's a love of another kind. In fact, he wants to make sure that you understand how different it is. He keeps going, and not only are we to love like a forever family, but he says, get rid of all that's not loving. Verse 1, chapter 2, put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. The language of put away here is the equivalent of literally taking off your clothes, leaving them in a pile, and walking away. I want nothing to do with that anymore. You guys ever power washed your driveway or house, and if you live in the Northwest, there's lots of moss, right? Recently I was doing that, and I hate it when you're power washing next to the house and you go the wrong way. Like the water goes, like that. So that happened a lot. And it's like I had water and moss all over Jeff and all over his clothes. And I remember walking to the house and Jay's like, uh-uh. You don't get to come in like that. You know, so I'm like, okay, I got to strip off the clothes. And anytime I get dirty with all the clothes, it's like that doesn't come in the house, okay? You get rid of it. Now we wash it. I didn't throw it out because I'm kind of cheap that way. Anyway, I want to like keep all my clothes as long as I can. But they're filthy. And what Peter wants us to understand is these things he's talking about are filthy, they're the antithesis of love. You should want nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with malice. What is that? Malice is any kind of ill intent or desire to see wickedness or pain or suffering come to someone else. Have you ever had that in your heart? You wish evil on somebody? You, you kind of rejoice when they suffer? Well, they deserved it. It's about time. That's malice. It's not love. No deceit. Deceit is when you, you're afraid to give your true self because you're afraid if they really knew me, would they still love me? And so you never give yourself to somebody. You always 
kind of put the front. The, there's a bit of a lie, a little bit of deception. Uh, husbands and wife, especially here, I want to encourage you, have no deceit in your marriage. Have nothing hidden from your spouse. You're supposed to be one flesh, naked and unashamed, fully known, fully loved. One of my biggest concerns when I meet with couples is that I find that many of them have, have given themselves permission to hide from the other. At the heart of intimacy, it's not sexual, sexual intimacy. It's not sexual engagement. The heart of intimacy, it's being truly known and truly loved. Family, I don't expect us to obviously be that well known by everyone here. That's especially reserved for a husband and wife to that level. But could we be a people who says, I don't want anything to do with deception anymore. I don't want to put on a front. I don't want to lie about myself. I don't want to cover up. That's the garden. That's Adam and Eve. That's what they did when they sinned and they thought they had to look elsewhere to get accepted. So they learned how to cover up with their own works, with the fig leaves of their own making. And they learned how to hide from one another and it destroyed relationship. We can't be that kind of people. Like Maybe you've noticed that sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm telling you the truth about my struggles. There's maybe some of you in the room are going like, yeah, I wish you wouldn't do that. I'd kind of like a pastor who had it all together. Well, you got the wrong guy. I don't have it all together. I need Jesus. I'm going to tell you about my struggles. I don't need to hide. Because I, 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 the real me is the one who most magnifies Jesus when he says he's weak. Not when he says he has it all together. And to, to tell you I do is a lie. I don't have it all together. I'm no different than you. You're no different than me. We need Jesus together. We need to be loving enough that we don't have to pretend we don't need Jesus. And we don't want to be hypocritical. Hypocritical is not just the deception, but it's, it's literally putting on a new face for every situation. It's, it's learning how to be the actor in every play you walk into, and every situation is a new play. I tell you what, if you're in that, you're in slavery, right? It's like, okay, what did I, I acted like this when I was at the gathering on Sunday, but I got this other group that I act like this when I'm hanging out with them, and then I got this other group of coworkers I act like this, and pretty soon you don't even know who you are, and you're like, which one do I put on? Mark Twain said, Oh, what a dangerous web we weave when first we practice to deceive. We become a captive slave in the webs that we make through the facade of hypocrisy, acting like we're something when we're not. We don't have to do that. Love doesn't have to do that. Envy. Get rid of it, Peter says. Envy is when we're disturbed that we don't get or have what someone else has. And you know that you struggle with envy, envy because you have a hard time celebrating someone else's success or blessings. You see this in Cain and Abel, right? You can't celebrate the fact that God loves Abel's offering. All you can think about is his own. My kids who are here, still growing and trusting the Lord Jesus, all it takes is me just scooping out a few scoops of ice cream in a couple bowls. And it's like, his is bigger than mine. Why did they get that candy and I didn't? Why can't I sit in that seat? How come I don't get to watch the movie I want, right? And you can all go like, yeah, kids. Yeah, you. Right? It's all of us. It's all of us. How come they have a boyfriend or girlfriend and I don't have one yet? Why are we still renting a house when so many own one? How come she got the promotion and not me? There they go again getting a new car. They're always getting new cars. I bet you they're in debt. <laughs> right? That's what we do, right? We can't celebrate 
I, I, I had someone one time, my family went on a trip to Disney for our vacation, fully paid for because I went to speak at, a, at an event. The, the flights are covered, the hotel's covered, the, I mean, we've got free tickets to Disneyland and Universal Studios. And someone went online and said, I can't believe we're in a time in our church when our, when our church needs more money, we're suffering in our giving, and our pastor's at Disneyland. It's envy, right? Some of you guys are going like, oh, shoot, we just did that a few weeks ago when you went. <laughs> it's okay. God's gracious to you. We had a great time, by the way. <laughs> and I don't feel bad about it because I'm free from your envy. And so can you. you. You know what? When you're envious, it controls you. Because you're always going to be looking around the corner going, who has more? Who, has, who got more promotion, more attention, more stuff? And again, you're putting your hopes in what is perishable, not as what, what is imperishable. And at the imperishable level, we all got the same stuff. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Right? So we don't have to be envious. But we do. We end up going into it over and over again. And then we slander. Put it away. No more slandering. Slandering is when you speak of people in such a way as to defame them, to bring them down in the minds of the listener. I'm telling you, we live in a culture that makes a ton of money on this one, and so we think it's just perfectly justified every single time someone's name is run through the mud through the press. It's wrong. It's ungodly. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you hear what he's saying? You speak about people in front of other people in a way that builds up the people you're talking about and the people that listen are full of grace because they're so encouraged by the way you spoke of somebody. And I would say, if you can't do that, button your lip. Do not talk. If you can't build up, if you can't speak gracious words, if you can't affirm someone else, then you need to go talk to them and get right with them. Do whatever you got to do. The, the policy we have at the staff is we don't talk about people, we talk to people. Right? We go to them. We speak the truth in love. Paul says put away all falsehood and speak truthfully one to another, Ephesians 4. This is what we're called to do. Love does not take joy in tearing down a brother or sister. Yeah, sure, People have hurt us. Yes, there is injustice being done. There are things that are wrong. You know what we got to do? we got to pray like crazy that God works in the hearts of men and women. we got to plead with them in love and affection because we have brotherly love and we're going to commit ourselves forever to one another till we're all restored and living the life God calls us to live. And we're not going to take joy in their suffering and we're not going to take joy in defaming them and tearing them down. That's not what we do. We're a forever family. Love one another earnestly, brotherly, forever. See, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, they're all the antithesis of love. So let me ask you, how you doing? It's really fun preparing these messages, you know? <laughs> You're like, thank you, Jesus, for letting me just sit in this for a week. I'm, I, I'm, I got through this and I'm like, man, I need so, so much help. I'm a mess. God help me. That's why we need to hear Peter's next words. Verse 2, chapter 2. Like newborn infants. Do you ever feel like you're just like a little baby sometimes at this? Gosh, I feel like I'm still starting over. Why is this so hard? Long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up 
into salvation. So just so it's clear, we want to make sure you understand the point of God saving you is not that you would remain in perpetual spiritual infancy forever, but that you would grow up into maturity. And the Bible defines maturity as love. The greatest of these is love. Jesus defines the, the fulfillment of the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the sign of maturity. Grow up into your salvation. Why have you been saved? That you might be loved by God and you might be his loving people, wholly devoted to him in this world. So grow up into your salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now, I want to stop and just ask you to think about what love requires. What does love require? Love requires a source and love requires an object. A source of love and an object to give the love to. Ever since the fall of humanity, where God originally was the source, because God is love, and all true, perfect love comes from God, ever since chapter 2, chapter 3, turn point in the story where they could just rest in the love of God, rest in the love for one another, live naked and unashamed, no need to hide, no need to blame, no need to slander, be malicious, envy, none of it. Just loving God, loving one another. But the evil one convinced them to go look elsewhere for the love. You don't need God. Go somewhere else. And they put their trust in what they did. Romans 1 tells us they turned from the Creator. We do it too. And instead of going to the Creator for the source, they went to the creation for the source. Instead of getting the source of love from love itself, we go to the objects of love to get love from. Now here's what's crazy. If you look to the object of love to get love from, then the object of your love has to be loving in order for you to give it love. That makes sense? Right? If, if, the, if the object of the expression of your love is the thing you're looking to to get love from, then love is now a transaction which makes it not love anymore. Because love is self-giving, not giving for the sake of self. When we first got married, Janie and I, you know what my source of love was? Janie. Bad idea. She's awesome. Amazing wife. But she's not love. She's an object of love. Not the source of love. And I look to the object of love, the created world that God poured his love into as the source of love. You can imagine how well that went. I was doing great when she was really impressed with me. But it only took about like day two, I think, on her honeymoon to go away. We're sitting on the beach, you know, in Maui, and we're like, what did we do? This is crazy. This is forever. I'm like, no, no, we'll die. It'll be over once we die. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've heard Janie a few times like, tell the story like, tell us about your marriage. Well, year one, that was really tough. And year two, that was worse. <laughs> and year three, that was bad too. And like, she keeps going, like, it doesn't ever get good. I think it was year seven. She's like, yeah, there was a turning point. You know what that turning point I believe was? I think we both started to grow up into our salvation and we started to look to the source of love instead of the object of love. We stopped looking to each other to receive the love that only God can give and so we could give love freely to one another without the expectation of it coming back. That's real love. 
That's pure love. Pure love gives itself away without any expectation in return. That's why the picture of an infant is such a poignant and beautiful metaphor of what, what Peter's trying to get after. He says, like, a, like a, a, a newborn infant longs for pure, pure spiritual milk. First of all, don't miss that. What he's saying is, he's saying there, there's this mom who, who gave her body for nine months, you know, like, or more. Um, and, and this life came through this body. And it, this, if it weren't for this body, if it weren't for this mother, there would be no life, no baby. And then what does his mom do? From that very same baby, her body, she feeds her baby. So she gives life to a baby through her body, and now she sustains the life of that baby through her body so that baby can get everything that baby needs to grow up into maturity. Do you not, don't miss this. The Word of God, which is imperishable, Jesus Christ, gave birth to you and me, and the only way you grow up into Christ is by feeding on Christ. It's through his body that you were born. It's through his life that you were saved, it's through his sustenance that you're fed, and if you want to grow up into a loving person, you've got to get to the source of love, and that's Jesus Christ. He is love. See, I want to make sure you understand this. Don't don't miss it. The purity of love is based upon the source of love, not the object of love. You go, oh, she's amazing. I love her. Not pure love. Wait till you're you wake up in the morning and you realize it's Leah, not Rachel. Of course, she realizes, like, I won't say it. You're a Shrek. You know? It's like, whoa. That's some breath you got there. My wife can smell me before I get in the house. I'm not kidding. If I eat garlic in the day, she, I come in, she's like, you had garlic, didn't you? I'm like, how is that possible? I was outside. I'm getting insulated windows. That's it. And someone's in the room going, all right, we can make that note. I sell windows, so it's good. So how's your wife doing with that scent stuff? Because I know I can fix it. <laughs> yeah, but I still got to come in the house. Okay, let's just go. And then I snore. I know, I told you that. You know, you know. Don't worry, you don't have to live with me. So it doesn't matter. But she has to sleep with me. And she still does. That's love. It's love. My wife loves me. Why? Because she was first loved with a pure and holy love by Jesus Christ. And her love for me only grows in as much as the source of the love is what she taps into. The more that she loves me is because that she's experienced the love of God in her life. I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. He is and he has it. The purity of your love is based not on the object of your love, but the source of your love. And here's the beauty. The source of our love doesn't wither and doesn't fall. It doesn't fail because he's eternal. It's Jesus Christ. He is the source of our love. And here's what I want you to hear. When you engage in malice, it's because you have put your love or the source, the focus of the source of your love on the object of your love. And so what's happening is you're going, they failed me. I, I, put, all my, I put all my eggs in that basket. I threw all my dice toward that, that set. I, everything that I put it, of me, I put toward that, and they failed me, and now I hate them. They failed. They, they let me down. They can't ever satisfy you fully. Only Jesus can. So please own that. You're the one who looked to someone else to be God for you. 
please own that. Say, God, I want to repent. I want to turn away from looking to a person or a thing to be the source of love and affection and acceptance in my life. I want to repent and turn to you as the only one who can give me what I'm longing for. And then I can forgive them because I can let them be human. I can let them be insufficient. I can let them be a failure, just like me. See, malice is just the outcome of putting the object, expecting the object of our faith to be, fa- our, our, our love to be the source of our love. And then when it lets you down, you want ill for it. And you know why we deceive? Because we feel the need to, to cover up because we know if they really knew us, they wouldn't love us. And that's because we don't believe and know the pure love that we have in Christ Jesus. And when we know and believe that, then we can go like, even if they reject us, I know the one who loves me and he's the one who knows me better than anybody else and I can't hide a thing from him and he still loves me. I don't need to deceive you. I got that. Who needs to deceive any longer when you got the God of the universe who made you and created you, whom you rebelled against and he knows every way in which you rebelled against him and he still loves you. Who needs anybody else's acceptance? I want it, I'll be honest. But even when I'm rejected, I don't have to start telling lies or deceive so that you'll think better of me. And it's not hypocritical because I don't need to perform anymore. The face, the mask, the facade, let's just take it away. Because you know what covers me now? Jesus Christ. He's he's the covering. He's the clothing. He's the one I want to put in front of you because he looks amazing. Way better than Jeff. And we envy because here's the reality. We know that anybody's success or gain is a threat to the potential of our acceptance or love or significance. So when they get more, we're like, what's that mean for me? But you know what? When you know that you've been a co-heir with Christ and you received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ, you don't need to look elsewhere to find that sense of significance or satisfaction. You're free from envy. And you know what? We slander because ultimately we know that when we put someone else down, it's a way of lifting ourselves up. But love doesn't need to do that anymore because you've been lifted up in the highest place in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. What, what higher can you get? How much higher can you be? It's as good as it gets. You don't need to put anyone down. See, what I want you to hear is that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how you know God's love. That he loved you when you had nothing to give him. You were dead, you couldn't do anything. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You couldn't do anything. God didn't come after you because he thought he needed you and you could do great things for him. He came after you just because he loves you. And not only were you dead in your trespasses and sins, you were an enemy of God. And he said, I want you to be my child. An enemy! That's love. I love this expression that Peter uses about a little baby because, here, don't, don't miss this. He says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, you're going to long for this pure spiritual milk. What's he saying? He's saying once you, you got a little taste of Jesus and the love of God through Jesus Christ, you're going, I can't get enough of that. I can't get enough of it. In fact, if you're in the room going like, I don't know, it's, then you haven't tasted him. That's all I got to say. If, you, if you're on it going, yeah, it's so good. He's so good. Then you don't know him. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would break into your heart today and give you insight and illumination of how amazing and, and incredible the taste of Jesus is to your soul. I remember when Haley was born and she didn't latch on real quickly um, when J.D. our first child and we lost our first, but this is our firstborn that made it through and 
And uh, Janie was trying to do bre- to breastfeed. Yeah, I said that here. It's the Northwest. We can talk ultimately about that, right? Um, I did it already, so live with it. Um, and, and, and she had a lactation nurse trying to help her, and it was really hard. And I remember finally when, when Haley got, like, we had to like, give her the taste of the milk. And as, as she started to get the taste of it, she wanted it more. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa! You know, and like, ah! And I'm like, oh, man, like, women have a lot to put up with, man. It's like nine months and then pain and childbearing and then like, gong, 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 while the baby's like doing that, you know? Like, ow! I'm just glad I'm a man. That's all I'm saying when I'm watching that. But you know what happened? It's like when that baby's hungry, that baby's just going, right? It's rooting, right? Anybody that holds it, the baby's like head is going, rant, rant, rant. Because it's hungry, and it's tasted, and it wants more. I remember one night, Haley's screaming, and I come in and pick her up because mom is really tired, and I, I don't have a shirt on, so I grab her, and she just goes, whop. And I'm like, you ain't going to get nothing there. Sorry. See, Peter's saying, we want to be like that. We want to we long for the pure milk. What is that pure milk? That milk is the, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the milk that nourishes our souls. It's the milk that builds us up in faith. It's the milk that pours the love of God into our hearts by His Spirit and He's given us Romans 5, 5. That's the milk we get. And it's satisfying. We want it. And we want it partly because we want to love. I mean, I know those of you who are ch- children of God in this room who've been rescued and, and set free and you have new life in Jesus, you're like, yeah, I want to love like that. I don't want malice. I don't want envy. I don't want slander. I don't want deceit. I don't want hypocrisy. I want love. I want to love my brothers and sisters. I really want it. But it's really hard and I struggle and it's difficult. And here's what you need. You need to go get the milk. And the milk is Jesus Christ. You need the satisfying milk of the good news of the gospel to pour the love of God into your life so that you can get love coming out of your life that's pure. It's the beauty of that pure milk is that the mom gives it just out of love. And Jesus gave it completely out of love. He didn't wait for you to get your life together. He didn't wait for you to fix yourself. He didn't wait for you to earn it. He just loves you and gave himself for you at the cross because he loves you. And that's an imperishable, unending, pure love. Some of you have been doing like my daughter did. You're latching on to something that can't give you the milk. I know some of you are going to go like, Jeff, thanks for giving this image. It just ruined my whole life. Every time I see you, I'm going to see that. Good, you won't forget the message. And I want you to ask, what have I been latching on to? What have I, what have I been rooting for? What have I been turning my head to to go, I, I want it, give it to me. My work, a relationship, stuff, money, status. Where are you going to get that milk that's not pure? Where are you going to get that love that's, that's tainted? Go to the source of love, love himself, Jesus Christ. Go to him. And he will pour his love into your heart and he will change you forever and you will be able to love with another kind of love. And every time you engage in things that are the antithesis of love, remember you went to the wrong source and turned back to Jesus in that area of your life. This relationship, it's so hard for me. Jesus, I need your love. Pour it into me. Your spirit's got to give it to me. I can't do it. I can't love with that kind of love. They can't be the source of my love. You have to be so that I can give them love that they don't deserve and they're not the source of. And that's what I got to do. That's what you got to do.
I pray, family, that we'd become this kind of loving people. And there's some of you in this room going, I don't know the love of God. Can I just encourage you? You have lived a life going to the wrong source all until now. And you're coming up empty and God's saying, I'm here for you. I want to pour my love into your heart right now. And I forgive you for exchanging the truth about me for a lie and going to something that's created to be the source of love when I'm the source of love. I forgive you for that. My son died on the cross for that. Your sin and your rebellion and your rejection of my love in your life was paid in full at the cross. You can receive the forgiveness for your sins today and become a pure and holy vessel. You can have a pure heart that I can then pour my pure love into by my spirit. And today I want you to receive that, Jesus says to you. Receive the love that I have for you. Let me pour myself into you so that I can pour myself out of you and love people in a way that you've never been able to do up until this day. That's what he wants for you. And maybe there's some of you going like, I've never tasted and seen that the Lord's good today. Taste him and see. and let, Just... Just try. Say, God, I want you to pour your life into me. Forgive me. You need this. You were made for this. You can't love with pure love without it. Family, the rest of us who know this, let's keep going back to the source of true love, unending love, unfailing love, eternal love, the love of a God who loved us regardless of what we did, and loves us still, no matter how well we love others. Even today, maybe you need to hear that. Yeah, you went, I've, I've engaged in all those things, Jeff. Receive grace and let him pour his love into your heart again. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed with thanksgiving. I, I just, I think of the number of times that I go to other sources and I come up empty over and over again and you you constantly, constantly pursue me. You constantly are faithful to me. You never give up on me. Your love is relentless. It's eternal. It's, it's imperishable. Thank you for giving me eternal life that even though I live like I don't have it, it's true. I will live with you forever. I will live with my brothers and sisters forever. We will enjoy a, a life of a perfect love one day forever. Right now we're, we're fighting against all the junk that we still fall into. This world's a very broken place. And we give into it daily. Help us. Help us to turn the head toward you and receive the pure milk of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that be what we hunger most for. Let that be what we're most satisfied with. Let that be the greatest passion and affection and obsession of our life. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.